Soft Engineering Radio, episode 123, Microsoft Oslo with Dumbbox and Doug Bordy. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for support. Welcome listeners to another episode of Software Engineering Radio. This one is going to be about Oslo, obviously not about the city, but rather about the Microsoft technology called Oslo. And with us on the call on this episode are two Microsofties. One is uh, Don Box and the other one is Doug Purdy. So uh, I don't know who wants to start. Maybe each of you uh, introduce yourself quickly to our audience. Great. Hi, I'm Don Box. I work at Microsoft. I've been here since 2002. Uh, I've been working on Oslo um, and the kind of the seed technologies that feed into it for since I, I would say like 2005, maybe even a little bit earlier. Um, and uh, we've been really trying to crack this nut of how to efficiently capture um, what a developer is thinking um, into a, a form that we can process. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think uh, you know, I can see the end of the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm, uh, I, I feel like we're on the the good part of the project now, where it's getting close to the end. Mm-hmm. Doug? Um, I'm Doug Purdy. I am. Uh, I work at Microsoft as well. I help run part of the Oslo team, uh, primarily focused on languages. I've been with Microsoft since 1998, on and off. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good story in there. Uh, <laughs> should, should I ask? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe one day over drinks. So, um, and I've been, um, you know, prior to actually working on Oslo, I uh, did a lot of work in the web services space as well as distributed computing. And now we're very focused on um, making it much simpler for folks to write applications uh, and uh, any of their applications in a pretty straightforward way. I view this uh, Oslo effort as really taking programming to its sort of next level and enabling lots more people to uh, program down and write down their intent yep. um, with our platform. Okay, so um, as you as you might know, and as our listeners certainly know, I'm also very much into this DSL stuff. So this is a topic that I'm personally personally very interested in, and I'm quite happy to have you guys on the show today. I'm sure you say that to all your guests. <laughs> well, <laughs> you have to listen to all 120 episodes to find this out, I guess. <laughs> so um, you already mentioned a couple of high-level thoughts about Oslo. So why don't you, one of you guys, give us an overview, a high-level overview about Os- about what Oslo is and what the components of Oslo are. Don and I have we're in the same room, so we're trading off hand gestures on on how uh, who wants to actually speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll take the first crack, and then uh, Don can um, you know, chime in with some additional data. So Oslo, in a nutshell, is our effort to enable folks to do what we call model-driven development. And what that means is, if, if you look at the, the space of the world today and the way people write applications and the way platforms are written, we're finding increasingly that folks are moving to what we consider a, a far more data-driven approach. And what we mean by that is sort of, uh, I'll point out a very emblematic example. If you look at HTML and cascading style sheets inside of your web browser, what you see there is that you're writing down data, data that outlines um, how you, not necessarily how you go about doing a thing, uh, but what you would actually like displayed on the screen, as well as what styles you'd like associated with it, et cetera. And then the browser loads that data and then effectively 
you know, for lack of a better term, interprets that intent and then displays something to the end user. And so you don't write a whole bunch of code. I, I like to say, you know, w- would you rather write a web page utilizing HTML or printf? <laughs> so that's largely what we're going about doing with Oslo is allowing folks to write down data in interesting ways, write down their intent in interesting ways, and then allow people, programmers, to get access to that and then have run times that will do something interesting with that data. So we look at things like HTML. We look at things like cascading style sheets. We look at things on the Microsoft platform like XAML with WPF and WF being run times that can take that data and do interesting things on your behalf. And the key thing there for developers is the fact that they write much less code. And the key thing for developers also is that they're far more productive. And the key thing for end users is they get their applications in a more rapid way. And, in fact, you can get a broader constituency of people writing applications if you go with this particular approach. Mm-hmm. And so Oslo is a project that's very focused on that. We have three specific pieces to Oslo. One is M, which is a language that allows people to write data down. In addition, it allows people to build textual DSLs uh, that allow them to have their own interpretation, their own verbs, or their own nouns that pop to the fore uh, for their given data. We have a tool called Quadrant that allows you to do the same thing in the visual domain. So you can look at your data, then you can build customized views on top of that. Uh, and the last thing that we have is a set of content, uh, a set of models that you know, we ship as a core part of the platform that then you can extend and leverage and use. And so Oslo is just a tool chain um, as well as a tool that allows you to adopt this model-driven approach of software development. And now I'll hand it over to Don, and he'll fill in more. We're like a jazz band. <laughs> okay. You know, if, if you think about the, the way the, the system holds together, um, you know, we have this language, which is M, um, which is really kind of the centerpiece of the system. We have Quadrant, which is this tool that allows people to interact with M, inf- M-based information. And then we're basically M-enabling um, the SQL database to be able to um, better uh, – retain some of the things we're doing in M mm-hmm. after we've compiled down to C SQL. So an M itself is uh, structured into three different subparts, right? There is M grammar, M graph, and M schema. Can you can you outline what these are all about? Yeah, it's kind of funny. The the those terms kind of came out of the PDC yep. launch. Um, the 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 if you look at the PDC bits, which you can download on our website today, there are fairly bright lines between the schematization side and the, the textual DSL machinery. Um, we're doing a lot of work in this coming milestone that we're just entering now to kind of blur some of those lines because it turns out there's a lot of things that we were um, repeating. That is, we found ourselves building the same machinery twice in subtly different ways mm-hmm. for no good reason. Um, and also we just found that there were scenario reasons where um, I would want to be able to write a grammar um, that was producing structured data out the, the, the rear end of the parser. Uh, but I also, of course, wanted to schematize that. And in the current PDC bits, we don't have the machinery in place to pull those things together. Um, that's kind of the big thrust of this coming milestone. Mm-hmm. But there was... I don't know that the terms M schema and M grammar are going to live okay. um, uh, as long-term Okay, but th- there will probably still be a way to define data structures, uh, you know, like like meta modeling kind of stuff, and then there is a way to define the concrete syntax for a textual DSL and the transformation from that concrete syntax to the schema you def- or the structure you defined def- def- before. Absolutely, the the observation is the the lines and the the bright lines that exist today in the tool chain will will melt away, 
and you'll have a common tool chain for being able to write all of these things down. Because quite often, like if you think about it, if you look at the way the, the grammar language works, right? The grammar language, um, which is part of M, takes transformations from text into structured values, mm -hmm. basically graph-structured data. Um, it turns out that the schematization piece of the language schematizes graph-structured data. Um, right now, in the current bits, we don't have the ability to uh, ascribe a type to the output of a language, mm -hmm. which is the textual DSL. Um, we're, we're in the process of uh, putting that in. We recently had an episode about parcel technology where we had Elko Fisher on the, on the show and we talked about LL and LL star and LLK and other, you know, scannerless parsing. Now, one thing I saw that was very interesting when I looked at your, at your uh, PDC presentations was two things. First of all, your parcel definition, the grammar language and the tooling was completely interactive with the IntelliPad thing, which I really liked. And the other thing is that I probably, or I would imagine that you have ways of combining grammars in a way that does not run into the usual grammar ambiguity stuff. Do you want to maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, certainly, the interactive grammar uh, authoring and debugging mode has just been transformational in terms of the way people think about writing a language. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly when I went to school, you know, Lex and Yak were kind of the state of the, the practice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the interactive development cycle was, was left a lot to be desired. Um, and I think the investment we made in getting a good tooling experience um, has, has paid off in spades. Um, I, I don't think people would think about the language the same way if it didn't have, you know, this, this inclusive, encompassing environment. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's definitely a huge piece of it. And, and in terms of language composition, um, there's some interesting interactions. If you look at the way our language processing stack is built, uh, we have a GLR parser on top of a fairly straightforward lexer. Um, and there's some interaction between the two where we actually can flip lexical spaces midstream inside of a language. Ah, okay. That's the, that's the, the, the key, right? Yeah. So there, there's a feature in our stack, in our runtime stack, that enables us to flip lexers on the fly. Um, it's exposed through a language construct that we're not we weren't happy with and we couldn't get it right in time for PDC. Mm -hmm. so, so we specifically didn't uh, make a big deal about that feature. <laughs> yeah. There's a keyword called nest, which ah. turns bold when you type in your grammar. So we didn't, do, we, we didn't try to hide it. We just didn't try to make a big deal about it because we know we're going to change it. Yeah. Um, and one of the things we're doing actually kind of like right now, Paul Vick's working uh, with Gio De La Brera on how to get um, a more seamless uh, transition between different lexical spaces. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, we, we have basic functionality there today. Um, it's, the usability of it isn't great. Um, and so right now what we're doing is focusing a lot on um, is there a simpler underlying model that allows us to deal with things like token, amb token ambiguity and overlapping lexical spaces. Right. Um, so I, I think M3 will, will come up with something better. Mm -hmm. M3, by the way, is the third milestone okay. that we're about to enter. Um, and IntelliPad, is that more or less a prototyping tool and will it uh, merge into Quadrant and, and, or is it like the kind of stuff you're going to keep around for grammar development? I think the answer is probably yes to all of those. Let me answer them in order. Mm -hmm. um, the plan is absolutely that IntelliPad will be inside of Quadrant. Right? Quadrant is the shell for Oslo. That's the way where we right. really are investing in building a lot of um, interactive environment uh, features. Um, that are very data-driven. I mean, if you look at Quadrant, it boots off the database, right? 
quadrant is like one of the first heavy abusers of M uh, because they basically schematize a lot of their runtime and mm-hmm. load those that modeling data to, to boot the tool. Um, so we absolutely believe that Quadrant is the, the, the long-term investment for the shell. Um, and we're spending a lot of time, again, in this coming milestone of doing a good job of integrating um, the IntelliPad experience inside of Quadrant. That stated, um, you know, we do want to keep supporting this kind of standalone experience with IntelliPad, with iPad.exe, um, simply because it gives you a very lightweight, very purposed-focused experience. Right. Purely focused on text. Whereas Quadrant, we're really trying to be... Imp- Inclusive of lots of different UX styles. That is both text, but also diagrammatic, tabular. Mm-hmm. So, so that also means that within Quadrant, then you'll have you know a way of customizing the editor for a, for a textual language. You know, to customize code completion or to customize I don't know keyboard coloring or you know all these kinds of things. Kind of the exercise we're going through uh, right now. Some part of the team is off going off and looking at. What would it look like to use IntelliPad everywhere you wrote text inside of Quadrant? Mm-hmm. Right, which means the upside, if we can pull that off, and you know, there's some interesting technical challenges, but if we can pull that off, and we're talking down to like the little property editor yep, level, yep, yep, yep. it's a pretty deep commitment, yep. um, which puts a lot of intense pressure on the text editing engine performance wise. Yep. But if we can pull it off, then yes, what that means is I get a grammar. Um, first off, it means I get consistent key bindings across all of my, my text boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I've set up my key bindings to be Emacs mode, I can hit Control-A everywhere in the tool, and it does what I expect. Um, but also, the, um, you know, it does allow me to get um, you know, basically syntax-driven um, language services right. anywhere inside of the tool, which, again, we think is just a super compelling feature. Yep. So there's, there's a group of people who are focused full-time right now on making that um, happen. Mm-hmm. So how does Oslo fit into the... The, the greater Microsoft strategy or something. Um, when you when you published or, or released the DSL tools, um, I don't know, two years ago or something, I personally had the impression that, you know, kind of nobody else except the DSL tools team cared much. <laughs> so so how, how is this going to be with, with, with Oslo? What's, you know, what's the, how does it fit into the overall strategy at Microsoft? It's a very good question. I, I think you, what we've seen, we released the DSL toolkit uh, in 2005, and we've actually seen uh, a number of ISVs and a number of internal customers you know, picking up those tools. Uh, primarily, the, the use of the DSL toolkit is around what we call visual DSLs. Yep. So it gives you the ability to graphically go in and create um, you know, various boxes and line notations for a given domain. And we think that's a fantastic tool chain. Uh, we think it actually gives folks a lot of power to do code generation, et cetera. And it's in the space that we sort of, when we, let's kind of step back and talk about how we think about modeling in general. We sort of break down modeling into three facets. Uh, one is, you know, just drawings or, or diagrams, which you utilize Visio and other tools or a whiteboard for. Yeah. Uh, the other one is what we would call model-driven development. Um, and this is what people typically, you know, call modeling, which is where you do things at a certain conceptual level, and then there's lots of code generation um, that will actually, you know, bind you to a given runtime or to a given implementation. And Oslo isn't primarily focused on either one of those two particular things. We're very focused on, as I was saying previously, what we call model-driven runtimes and model-driven applications. 
Um, and, you know, we view things like HTML in the browser, things like XAML and WPF, XAML and WF, as being sort of the core center of what we're trying to do with Oslo. But we do want to have a great story that spans all three of those different particular spaces. Mm-hmm. So we're spending a lot of time working with the DSL team, uh, which is also um, responsible for really building the core infrastructure for our UML support. Mm-hmm. So we, as you know, we announced um, core UML support that will be coming out in Dev 10. And we are um, re-engaging with OMG, uh, and we're participating very actively in that process. And how we're going about building the UML tools is actually utilizing the DSL toolkit in order to enable that. Mm-hmm. So we're spending a, a good amount of time. Keith Short, uh, who was on our team and had worked on the DSL uh, toolkit prior, is working right now uh, to get us a good lever point between the DSL tools and Oslo. And we see that happening a, a couple different ways. But the primary thing that we want to be able to enable is that you can have schematized data, that you can have your um, your visual DSLs written in the DSL toolkit mapped down to, mm-hmm. and then you can interact at the data layer at the mGraph level effectively, uh, and then interoperate with the Oslo tool chain. And that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. That's what we see, you know, happening uh, at an initial level. In addition. Uh, Cameron Skinner, who is the PUM and drives the the team architect team, which owns the DSL toolkit as well as the UML tools, is committed very deeply to this notion of supporting the repository, supporting the notion of modeling, et cetera. And we've just got to really sit down and figure out how we effectively bridge the gap between the two sort of technology pillars and make sure our customers have a great story across both of those uh, particular products as well as scenarios. Mm-hmm. So, so one thing I was wondering is why you focus in Oslo exclusively on on interpretation or data driven applications as opposed to code generation. Because I mean, obviously, both of them have their have their benefits. For example, I mean, if you look at the embedded space, there isn't much interpreted stuff going on for the obvious performance reasons. So, why did you or why do you focus specifically on the on the data driven or the in, in, interpreted side? Well, I'll give my perspective, and then um, you know Don may may differ on that. From my standpoint, we've sort of viewed this uh, as us coming from our natural center of gravity. So many of us that are on the team had been very focused on how do we write down schematized message passing. That's sort of where many of us on the team sort of started. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we've we've added additional people onto the team. And, and the way we went about doing that is we, we built this thing called Indigo or the Windows Communication yep. Foundation. Yep. And, and it ended up becoming a very data-driven framework. Where What we effectively did was we could go look at uh, the WSDL effectively, and then build a runtime stack mm-hmm. um, that would be driven completely off that WSDL and the way the messages would interact with each other as well as the, the message descriptions. And we found that to be an incredibly powerful and flexible approach to how we developed um, WCF itself as well as how we sort of focused that to an end-user developer. Um, and then the next step for us really was um, we started working on uh, Windows Workflow. Um, and many of us had worked on that, and we sort of merged the efforts, and we saw that that was really taking it to the next level, which is where you weren't just doing message passing, but you were literally going down and doing things um, at a very, very um, almost imperative level, but doing it in a very data-driven way that you yep. could change and mutate, and it would be very flexible and very transparent. And that was really the center of gravity for us. And then when we looked across the entire Microsoft platform, we saw that this was happening again and again and again. Right. You go look at um, WPF is a great example. You go look at ASP.NET. 
Uh, ASP.NET does utilize code generation, but a lot of the data bonding, a lot of the, the underlying things that go on inside of the framework are driven off CLR metadata. Mm-hmm. And so what we saw was if you could really get things into a transparent description, uh, there was a lot of power to be gained there. And so uh, you know, I think code generation is fantastic. I think it absolutely has an approach. But you know, what we're trying to solve with Oslo is that everyone who was building one of these, what I would call a, you know, a data-driven runtime, was writing their own tools. Right. They were writing effectively their own you know, set of languages, yep. uh, oftentimes XML-based. They were writing their own infrastructure. And so what Oslo really is for us is us looking across the platform and saying, hey, let's build a consistent tool that enables these sorts of runtimes. Let's build a consistent language that allows people to schematize that data as well as add their own experiences on top of that. Let's go build some core models, much like we did with .NET Framework around the base class libraries, uh, to enable this, this kind of development. So at the end of the day, I view Oslo as just a step uh, on our path from the .NET framework, where we're just entering the next level of software development. Um, so, Don, I'll... Yeah, look, I, I agree with everything Doug said. Um, <laughs> I'll say a couple couple more things. Um, one is um, solving the, 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 the runtime problem is strictly harder. Um, there, there's a different set of challenges, but I think that um, there are a set of challenges that if we put off too long, um, we'll constantly be in this kind of... Um, it's a static world that can't react to the dynamic. I agree. So, so we're trying to optimize for the more dynamic environment, knowing that, yes, we will have to do more work to make some static optimizations happen. Um, but, you know, just, I, I mean, the, the IntelliPad experience is a great example, right? Um, we optimized for a dynamic environment so that we could get that highly interactive, you know, you touch it, you change it, you know, it, it, it's a much more fluid environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of want to, we want to enable that everywhere we go. Um, but that's stated, if you look at Oslo Core, um, we don't tell people how to use the data they're writing down in M. If they want to do code generation, um, I can tell you right now, I know there are people out in the world doing T4 templates against the output of the, the parser. In fact, the great irony is we do code generation. <laughs> okay. Now, and the, the, the reason why I was asking is that, that I'm involved in a couple of yeah, large-ish model-driven projects in, in the embedded space. And what, what already works quite well is code generation. What doesn't really work that well is managing large and or many models. And um, that's where, I guess, your, your repository comes in. So if I would imagine I have the Oslo te- technology available, you know, really good grammar support, really good nice front-end with Quadrant and a really good scalable database repository kind of thing, and then a good code generation engine for my embedded customers, that would be really, really interesting. So I was wondering why, I mean, I understand now that that's the starting point, the, the interpreted world, and that at some point a more generative approach might be added in some fashion. I, well, one, I'd say, hey, it sounds like you got a great idea. You want to come build it? Uh, two, <laughs> two uh, I think that is the natural conclusion you have to reach when you look at what we were calling, um, you know, model-focused model, uh, um, and model-driven development. If you really think about, as Don said, uh, if you can reflect over the models and then run something like our T4 across yeah. that, I see no reason why you can't bring these pr- approaches together at all. Sure. I, I mean, my, my impression is also that the code generation stuff is, there are a couple of good tools out there. I mean, they might have to be ported, but otherwise they're available. The bigger challenge is really the editor and the repository. So it's obviously really good that you address this first. Yeah. It, I, at the end of the day, we believe that structured data is the way you should drive things. And if you want to drive code generation off that, love it. Sure, absolutely. So talking about this um, this uh, repository thing again, um, 
I, well, I, I contradict myself now. I just said that I... <laughs> I knew it was coming. I, yeah, yeah. I now just, you're going to say, why didn't you use files? Yeah, of course. I mean, why don't... No, I would, no let's say it different, differently. Why don't you uh, make this an option for the user to either use the big database or yep. files? <laughs> And you know what? We absolutely have that. Um, cool. So if you look at the way you develop content for our platform, it's all file-based. Right. So you go into IntelliPad, you write a model down, you save a file. Um, you write a grammar definition, you save a grammar definition. Mm -hmm. So all that is file-based because we know developers, are they've got tons of tools that are very exactly. affiliated with text. Yep. Uh, you know, I don't know how to diff a database. The, exactly. the only way I know the diff a database is to get it into files and diff right. it. Yeah. Um, although I'm sure there are many tools, and I'll get lots of email as a result of that <laughs> statement um, with, yeah. <laughs> with with lots of proposals. Um, but at the end of the day, we think there's there's room for both, and we think many developers will stay in the file world. That said, when you want to have a tool and you want to do analysis like we want to enable on top of Quadrant, you really need a query processor. I mean, that's yep. really, at the end of the day, what it boils down to, yep. is how can I do queries across potentially massive data sets in a performant way? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it turns out that's one of the reasons we're betting on the relational model. And it turns out that's one of the reasons that we embrace SQL as a core runtime for us because it has this performer query processor. Yeah. So so actually, there, there is a very interesting discussion going on about some of my colleagues and friends about what the correct or better metaphor for this model world is. Is it the database, you know, with a query processor and, and all that, what you just talked about? Or is it more like the IDE? We typically use Eclipse as an example, where the data is actually in files, but then the, the, the IDE builds all those indices and registries and stuff for efficient yep. querying. So, and I'm... I'm well. We didn't really decide yet which of those two approaches is the is the you know is the one that should be influencing the model-driven world more. I, we believe it's both. I think you're going to see us. Uh, like, let's take for example source control. Mm -hmm. um, there's most most source control uh, things in the world are very file-based. So we believe people will write their content and check it in and out of models. We also think what people will do is load their models into the repository to get exactly what you just said which is I get this IDE, this tool-like experience. And then we think people may make a decision that they actually want to export <laughs> and then check back in, you know, the result of that work. Um, and so I think you actually want to have a center of gravity that embraces both approaches. Mm -hmm. in, in some of the videos I, I saw from PDC, you, you, you talked quite a bit about the analogy of Oslo to, X, to the XML world. Um, do you want to maybe elaborate on that briefly? Don, do you want to elaborate on that one? I'm on record as saying lots of things. I'd love to get you on record talking about. <laughs> oh, sure. Look, um, yeah, this, this, this makes uh, sure that I can point back to the podcast next week and say, look what you said. Yeah, well, <laughs> look, a, a lot of the things people do with XML um, are, are, are pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I've definitely been, you know, one of the big abusers of XML, um, as of many of my colleagues on this team. Um, in fact, I tell Don, I make a joke, I say, we're doing penance for what we've done. <laughs> yes, this is our... <laughs> Hopefully we'll get atonement. The, uh, but no, look, you know, there's a lot of parallel uh, in terms of kind of the, the, the problem space, right? There's an abstract data model. Um, ours is based on label-directed uh, label graphs. Mm -hmm. The info set is based on um, kind of a generalization of the W3C DOM. Um, the, there's a, 
at least one concrete textual syntax. Um, we have, I mean, there, there's a lot. We have schema. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that are are similar um, in terms of like the kind of thing they do. Of course, they're built very differently. They're designed around yeah. different design points. Um, but certainly, a lot of the things you can do with XML, we think about doing with with Oslo, um, and I, I think that's all well and good. Um, I, I thought Doug was going to go. I'm going to try and out Doug Doug Purdy here for a second. Um, Quadrant is our info path, right? <laughs> but, you know, if you think about what InfoPath did, which I love, great, it. I love that. Yeah, this is good. I really love InfoPath. Um, in fact, a lot. One of the excellent yeah. Um, I really love InfoPath, and InfoPath for me was kind of like this really great. Let's just live the dream. Let's go all the way with XML, um, and it's had some success in the marketplace, which is great. Um, but uh, you know, Quadrant is very much in that that ilk, right? Where we're basically trying to bootstrap an entire uh, tool chain. Um, on top of this, this basic little data model and syntax. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, the, there are lots of parallels, and I think a lot of the things people do today with XML, they're going to do with Oslo. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so another analogy, I think, Don, actually, you mentioned it in one of, of the PDC talks, is uh, a comparison with Smalltalk, and I found that rather interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, everyone on my team breaks down into a small talker or a lisper, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so all anybody's trying to do is actually develop one of those two environments. Yes, it does the small talk. Yeah, I, actually, I say sm- everyone's broken down the small talk. I think there's one small talker on the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be Doug. Um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a lisp head. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, we're trying to. There were some great ideas there, and there's lots of lots of great ideas that have can still be fodder for uh, more some commercial software. It's great. Um, I, I have no problem, uh, you know, paying homage to uh, the great um, Picasso. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I love, the, you know, the more good ideas we can get from Smalltalk and Lisp and, yeah, I mean, and bring forward, I think it's great. Certainly the, the whole interpreted dynamic approach and also the ability to reflect over everything and change everything with its own means and have this quadrant thing describing itself and stuff, that's very, very Smalltalk-like. Yeah, at the end of the day, I, for me, there's a design point, which is to abolish the distinction between runtime and design time. Right. Because I, I don't think that serves either developers or end users at all to have that bright line. Yep. So um, go, going back to the, to, the, to the core features, I have two more questions there. One is, um, will it be possible to mix graphical and textual languages? So what I'm thinking about is imagine you have a state machine that's modeled graphically and then within the state machine you have some kind of expression language you can use for the guard conditions uh, or the, the actions in the states or yeah. something like that. And then of course this textual language has the whole, you know, the, the whole stuff, code completion, syntax highlighting and all you want in place. Yeah, we, we do that today. I mean, if you look at the way I write uh, visual DSLs in Quadrant today, They are largely structured data, but they often have expression trees at the le- at the leaves. Yep. Um, also, if you look at the dubf the, the dubf v v two or whatever we're calling the one that ships in .NET for uh, the one that we're that we're working on right now, that's another great example where we use structured data, kind of we use a XAML data structure for a lot of stuff, but then we kind of bottom out at um, embedded uh, link expressions, which get turned into. You know, um, so I think there's a lot of lot of lot of uh, merit to that approach. Um, I think the next iteration of the, the catalog in Oslo um, will look a lot like that as well. Um, and the, the, the interesting thing is in a world where you've got parsing and compilation machinery as part of the runtime platform, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the line doesn't have to be as bright. You know, we can make decisions like I'm going to store this 
sub part of my program is text, knowing I can easily reconstitute it because I've kept enough uh, information from previous compilations to be able to reconstruct what I need efficiently. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a lot of uh, we have a lot of flexibility and some knobs to turn here. You mentioned Link. Uh, do you use Link prominently in uh, in Oslo? I don't think we have any implementations of iQueryable. Mm-hmm. That's what you're asking about. Yeah, I mean, look, we you know we're C sharp devs. We are actually are building the tool in C sharp. I know we use many C sharp three features. Yeah, I don't think we're heavy link abusers. Uh, I mean. What I was thinking about was uh, how you would write views and or queries or stuff. Uh, you know, whether that expression language is basically the the same expression language as the one used in Link, or whether it's different. Ah, so the the expression language that we use. Got it. Now I understand. So the expression language we use in M. Um, is, you know, we use curly brace syntax. We use certain C-sharp uh, syntactic idioms. Um, and, yeah, we use query comprehensions that look a lot like C-sharp. Okay. Queries. Um, we also use um, a link query syntax in the tool for building customizations of uh, visuals. So, yes, in that respect, yes, the, the link query comprehension syntax shows up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that... that, that certainly plays a role in modern development in, in my world, and, and I suppose it is also important in your world, is uh, transforming one model, one set of abstractions into another set of abstractions, or, you know, the whole topic about model-to-model transformations. Do you have any specific thoughts and tools and, and, and whatever about that? You go back to the XML question, uh, which I think is there's a, a related point here. Yeah, XSLT. You know, we, we, <laughs> we wanted to have an inter- integrated language where we could write down values, constraints over values, and query function transformation over values. And, you know, we, we, we wanted to have a single way to do all those things and kind of an integrated way to do all those things. And, you know, we do come up with these names like mgraph and mgrammar and all these things so that we can kind of help people think about slices of the, the language. But we definitely think we need all those things. Um, and we're trying to, to come up with, again, as, as simple a possible approach that will work um, to get all that th- those things. But, yeah, right now, you know, people write computed values in M, um, which give you a different shape over the, the uh, 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 an existing schema. Yep. Um, we think that's super important. Um, the thing we talk about doing, and I don't know how close we'll get in V1, we've talked about having a general purpose um, pattern matching system. Yeah, that um, right, would be cool. Right now, the, the, we have pattern matching over text. Yeah. Because it's kind of hard to build a, a a parser without it. Sure. No, but you want is, is pattern matching over structured data, metadata driven. That's really useful. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And how far we'll get in V1, I don't know. But we certainly, you know, our, our appetites are unbounded. So we, yeah. <laughs> we kind of want to get there eventually. <laughs> um, but we have to ship stuff along the way. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, this is all a, a notion of pragmatics. Uh, we've had many incubations. Um, going on in this group that have been very focused on that particular problem. And we've got a lot of great ideas in the space, but yet again, it comes down to we've got a ship. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, another thing, of course, now that you're, uh, you know, <laughs> increasing your, your involvement with the OMG, you could actually adopt the, you know, QVT standard for models, model transformations. <laughs> Is that something you thought about? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. Um, and, well, you know, we have... Um, a lot of thoughts around the UML uh, standard, but that's primarily where we spend a lot of our time thinking about the OMG assets. Um, you know, but I'm always willing to you know consider other alternatives to, to how we might uh, solve our customers' problems. Yeah, but right I, now, that's not something we're looking at. Actually, not quite sure that QVT is actually that useful that 
that's what I was laughing a little bit when I was asking oh, I see. about it. I see. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so two more questions on my sheet here. One is um, how open Oslo is going to be. Do you have any plans about cooperating, integrating with other, let's say, model-driven environments like, let's say, Eclipse, for example? I know that you talked with Ed Merckx about some of that. Yeah, um, it's a great question. So we don't think that we can be successful getting this approach in the industry or meeting Microsoft goals unless we have a very broad base of adoption Yep. throughout the industry. We, yep. we just don't think it's possible. And so as part of that, when we went to PDC and announced the M language, et cetera, we made it a very conscious decision, and I think a very important decision, that we were going to release the language specification under the OSP. And what that means, uh, the open specification promise, it effectively means that anyone can implement the language um, and we won't, you know, we effectively promise that you um, can implement that language and we won't do anything about it. In fact, we encourage you to do that. Yep. And this is one of the, the mechanisms that we use for um, things um, like the WS star standards, et cetera. Um, and, and I think that's just an initial foray into the space. Um, I think you'll be hearing a lot more from us. As you said, I, I've been having some good conversations with Ed. We've been talking with some folks in Apache. Uh, mm -hmm. What I really want to see happen is I want to see M in this approach of data-driven development, in this approach of you know writing down values in a nice, compact way, writing down transformations in a nice, compact way, writing down schematization of that those values in a, in a very compact, straightforward, human-friendly way. I'd like to see that on as many platforms as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you'll see us doing lots of things to encourage that again and again and again. Um, and we really want to make this approach be something central to the way people write software across all platforms. Now, that said, you know, a lot of platforms have already adopted this notion of being model-driven, uh, model-assisted um, development, and we'd like to embrace that as well. I mean, we have the same uh, thing in our platform with, like, the DSL tool chain, so how do we right. integrate with it? Um, you know, we have Eclipse, and there's a great set of standards around Eclipse. How do we integrate with that? So, you know, these are all conversations I'm open to having, and I want to have M as an implementation on as many platforms as we can possibly get, and then find the right level of integration points that we need to make our customers successful and make the industry successful moving to this particular approach. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I had my druthers, um, M would be as ubiquitous as XML. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it, it really it, would be, and on as many platforms and as and is integrated deeply into both tooling as well as the way yeah. that people think about their space. Yeah. Because if you go look at XML today, it largely is the mechanism by which people write more textual DSLs than anything else. If you want to call it textual DSLs, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it, you know, in fact, people, yeah, it's, 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 you know, what is a textual DSL? But yeah. uh, at the end of the day, it's what people utilize so they don't have to go write their own parser, but embed their own notion of domain-specific uh, uh, constructs for their runtimes. Yeah. Uh, and you see that again. You see that in the Java platform. You see that in the .NET platform. I, you know, every enterprise application I see these days has some kind sure. of, you know, on the side, you know, data-driven thing that's primarily XML-based. Absolutely, yeah. And, and 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 I mean, XML is a good way of storing structured data. It's just not a good way of, you know, to interact with the data from the human perspective because there is no custom syntax. That, that's exactly right. And, and so what we what we're trying to do with Oslo, if you look at some of the design points, you know, we talked about the database. You know, yeah. we're developing a 
uh, a value model and a schematization model as well as a transformation model that's very database friendly. Uh, and the reason we're doing that is we need that query processor, et cetera. But at the same time, we're developing this ability to be very human-friendly in the interaction syntax, in the way that you, you interact with that structured data and that set of values. And so, and we view Oslo and M in particular as being the mechanism to bridge that human-friendly back to the database um, or to, you know, to any storage that you have. And so that's a key value for us, and we think that that's one of the things that's going to really make this approach stand out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm really a big believer in this whole model-driven, data-driven stuff because it allows you, if you do it right, to really solve the legacy problem because now you don't you know, implement stuff in unreadable and un, unprocessable, untransformable code, but rather in, in, in models which are separated by viewpoint. And, and then, of course, this whole approach only makes sense if the stuff is open because if you don't have a way of transforming your now, I don't know, Oslo or Eclipse or OMG models into the next new standard once it becomes available, then it's kind of pointless. So that's yep. why I think this really needs to be open. Yep, no, I absolutely agree. Um, and we're going to do everything that we can to, to make the, the, um, the M specification uh, as open as we can possibly make it. And, you know, I, the OSP is just, you know, in my view, and we're having lots of conversations, just the the initial sort of foray into this and i think you'll see a lot more from us in the in the near yeah. future yeah so since you already mentioned the word future <laughs> what about the what's the current state what's the release plan what's the availability when is there going to be a 1.0 release you know what's the strategy what's the plan um good question yeah don's looking right at me <laughs> Um, that's a great question. So right now, um, there are bits that are available. We release those at PDC. Yep. And it's actually what I call pre-alpha. And what I mean by that is, well, actually, let me step back a little bit. We're trying to do something a little different with what we're doing with Oslo. We're trying to engage as early and as often and as openly as we can with this particular approach. Um, and this particular release. And what that means is you're going to see us dropping a lot more frequently than most um, teams inside of Microsoft do. I think you'll also see us re, uh, reacting far more to community input and wanting to get the community very involved in what we're developing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in addition to that, this is going to be, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but one of the ideas we have is that we really want to engage the community in helping us determine when it's done. Yeah. Uh, you know, when it's viable, when it's something that people can, can build on. And that's relatively new, at least for some of us. There are other parts of Microsoft that have already adopted that approach. But that's, that's fairly new for when we think about platform technologies at Microsoft. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to answer your question, uh, when do we think a, a, a V1 will be? I, I, I don't really know. I kind of have a good idea in my mind about what we need to deliver in that space. But we're relying on a lot of customer feedback mm -hmm. to help us get a good understanding of what we need to deliver as well as community feedback, especially if we aspire to be uh, an XML-like technology that's open as widely adopted and ubiquitous as that. There's a lot of people that we need to get input from, um, many of which are hopefully are listening to this podcast, many of <laughs> folks that actually worked on uh, XML, et cetera, and we want to start those conversations. And I think you know we'll work in concert with the community, and then we can make a determination on, on when we're done. Um, but I think what you'll see us doing is we'll be doing another drop soon. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully that will be uh, in the early winter. I think you'll see us also want to do um, additional sets of drops around events. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, our plans are um, there's a mixed conference that's coming up. Uh, you'll likely see us doing something around that. There's tech ed. You'll likely see us doing something around that. Yep. Um, Lang.net. Lang.net is coming up. You'll likely see us doing something around that. Um, okay. So, I mean, we'll see. Uh, but, like, these V1 technologies, uh, I've worked on a couple of them. It's very hard to be able to make an accurate prediction on when you're done. Uh, for a V2 and a V3, it's much yeah. easier um, yeah. because a lot of times you can be date-driven, you can be revenue-driven, these things. But the answer to your question, I just don't know. We're going to make it as fast as we can. Well, but, I mean, actually, this is a good answer because it says that you're only going to ship once it has reached a state of maturity and also feature completeness that joining. makes sense. We have a new person on the call. Yes, me, Shoshana. How are oh, you? hey, hey shows. We're <laughs> this Dinner. is interesting. We're actually uh, now just joining. Uh, we're just finishing up a podcast, and I guess Carol used the same exact conference <laughs> number. Um, Sorry. Hey, no, it's fine. It's fine. Just stay, stay on the call. Hey, Marcus, yeah. uh, the whole entire Oslo leadership is dialing into this call. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, it is now joining. <laughs> actually, I mean, we're we're almost finished. The only thing I was going to ask is, um, what did I forget to ask? What do you want to say when you know? Or, Anybody of the other people who just joined, what do you want to say to our listeners when, when we shut down this cast? <laughs> They don't want to say anything, Marcus. Okay. <laughs> They don't want to go on record. <laughs> uh, no, I appreciate it. And uh, Marcus, I appreciate you uh, offering up the opportunity for us to come and talk a little bit about Oslo. Sure. And absolutely. I would encourage uh, anyone who's listening to go check out the bits. Uh, if, if nothing else, you should install Windows just to run Oslo. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to uh, msdn.microsoft.com slash Oslo, and our SDK is available there. And I'd love to get feedback. And my email address is douglasp at microsoft.com. And if you send me mail, I promise somebody will get back to you. Okay. Thank you very much. And, uh, well, good luck with, with, uh, with the development of Oslo. I'll certainly uh, stay in touch. Yeah, thank you so much, Marcus. I've enjoyed reading your blog. You've had some good feedback that we've uh, already pumped sort of into the engineering cool. team. So good thank you. Know. Thanks. Bye. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Bye. Bye. Thanks for downloading and listening to Software Engineering Radio. Software Engineering Radio is an educational program brought to you by Hillside Europe. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website. Or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick, Reddit, Delicious and Slashdot buttons. To contact the team, please send email to team at se-radio.net or if it is specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can react to your comments. This episode of SE Radio as well as all other episodes are licensed under a Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle.